Eating healthy is a common goal that people strive for, but it can be tough when life gets very busy. Being able to eat healthy on the go is becoming more and more important. That's why I'm here today to tell you about G2G Protein Bars, the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It is all natural and made with fresh ingredients, like homemade, but better. G2G Bars contain 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, you'll be sure to enjoy many of the great tastes that G2G bars have to offer. They are fresh, healthy, and delicious. Get yours today at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer. G2G bars, you will taste the difference. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is former McMaster alumni quarterback, currently in charge of Canadian Football Perspective via Twitter, worked as the voice of the Hamilton Tiger Cats on TSN 1150 in Hamilton, Marshall Ferguson. Marshall, I'm really excited to talk Canadian football and get into the nitty gritty of why we love this game and all the craziness that may happen in the CFL season. Thanks for being on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's always a fun conversation, and I'm glad that uh, I've I'm I've got a great. Is that a mint melt Siegel that I'm looking at behind you there? That looks like something that has been freshly pressed. Actually, it is because I was on Facebook Marketplace a few weeks ago in Winnipeg, and I was looking just for Winnipeg Blue Bomber stuff, and just so happened to cross a gentleman who was selling tons of bombers memorabilia, and he was selling a blank. 0607 bombers jersey no number no name nothing and i was nice. like oh interesting like i don't i used to have an old generic 2015 gold one which was okay but i really wanted a, a premier one so i went and reached out to the guys at keener uh keener jerseys in winnipeg and they took care of me real nice and they were able to get the stitching for name number front back shoulders the whole nine yards and made it look brand new. And I was absolutely blown away. So for anyone out there was blank jerseys of football teams that are within the last 10, 15 years, you need to hit them up. They do international shipping. And this is not an ad by the way, but they do make jerseys and stitch names and numbers for teams in the NHL for their, uh, some of the pro uh, merch shops. So I was really happy with the job they did. And it, again, it looks like super, super legit, but I'm, I'm glad that I finally have, you know, a jersey of of the receiver goat. So, yeah, for sure. No, it's a beautiful one, and it's uh, it's amazing too when you see the quality of it actually on game day versus something that's like that looks better than game day jerseys. Like game day jerseys, they look fresh, but they don't they don't pop like that. So they did a good job with that. Reminds me of my co-host on Radio Kyle Mello and his uh, his obsession with Buffalo Bills jerseys of having his grandma. Uh, unstitch them and then restitch different names and different numbers back on for them. They didn't come out looking as nice as the people that uh, did that one for you, though. Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot of a lot of jerseys out there that people try to get customized, and even via TikTok, I was trying to find as as a Jaguars fan. I'm sure you know, now now cheering for the Bills is cool because of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, but trying to find what kind of obscure sports jerseys do you got? You know, when you get into the nitty gritty of of really weird fandoms like cheering for the Jags or the Bills, you never know what kinds of jerseys are going to be coming through on game oh, yeah. day when you're talking to your buddies. Like, do you got a weird Bills jersey at home? I must ask. Yeah. So it's for me, it's not weird because it's a it's a crossover of my my CFL passion along with being a fan of the Bills ever since, since I was a little guy because I only ever got, uh, you know, when we used to watch television on the Rabbit Ears, I would only ever get AFC East games. And so it was always Bills, Dolphins, Dolphins, Jets, Jets, Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, Patriots, Jets. I mean, it was endlessly the same thing over and over and over. I don't know how the NFL used to schedule that where there were so many games uh, that were of the division every single week available for you. But on the local CBS affiliate, I had that. And at that time, I was eight years old and Flutie was playing for them. And this is before I was obviously educated enough to understand his CFL history. But you grow up, you learn, you figure it out. And so I have a pristine starter, uh, deep blue Doug Flutie Bills jersey. And every single time that I wear it to Bills games, and I get to about half of their home schedule each year because I live about 45 minutes down the road from the stadium. Uh, as soon as I end up walking towards the stadium endlessly, people scream, Flutie, as I'm walking in. And I always turn around, give them the wave. Yep. Hi. Nice to see you. Sometimes people come up and cheers me and just say, oh, I love Doug so much. So 
yeah, it's a conversation starter for sure. When you have a fun old one, like I'd love to have a, maybe a Bruce Smith, something like that. Thurman Thomas, some of those nineties guys later on, I did have, it was actually kind of funny. Uh, I had a Steve Tasker youth Jersey when I was a kid, which is weird because I mentioned it one time when I was throwing back when I was in university with Dave Stala. And that day that I mentioned it to him, he's like, Oh, well, we just got Luke. It was right when Luke had been picked up by the Ticats in like 2013. And Luke came and Dave was like, yo, this guy has your dad's jersey from when he was a kid. He's like, you got to bring it to the next workout. So I did. And we got a picture of Luke Tasker and I standing side by side where I'm wearing this like skin tight Steve Tasker number 89 Buffalo Bills jersey. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of history in that organization. And uh, they're hoping certainly that they turn the page and they create some new history after a pretty good regular season. That's absolutely hilarious that what were the chances you'd find a jersey of a guy whose son ended up playing on the Hamilton Tiger Cats and especially someone like Luke Tasker, who's been super phenomenal when he was in Hamilton and even with Buffalo, that's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of, of Winnipeg in terms of some of the old paraphernalia and memorabilia, because I know as a Winnipegger, when you walk around with the nineties jets Jersey or shirts or sweaters, whatever, because the team hasn't reused that logo since 96, when they left, Anytime that a Winnipegger is wearing any of that merchandise, people will always stop you in the street, always say something to you uh, at Bell MTS place. Hey, I like your jersey. I like your shirt. Where'd you get that? Or wow, that's so retro. Or I remember my parents had something like that. So those conversation starters, I think, are a great byproduct of having some of those lesser known jerseys or jerseys that weren't being sold like hotcakes during their day. Now, Doug Flutie definitely was was a fan favorite for at least a bit of time in Buffalo. But I think that if it, if it wasn't for his amazing run and tear, I guess you could say in the CFL, that might not have happened, which is a bit unfortunate because Doug Flutie was definitely one of the most exciting quarterbacks to ever play Canadian or American pro football. And especially with towards the end of his career, it really showed how resilient he was despite the, quarterback controversy between him and Rob Johnson and what happened with them choosing RoboSack over Doug and then him still coming back, being the Renaissance man, going to the Chargers, going to the Patriots, drop kicking the extra point in his last year. Those are the kinds of fun things I think that that hardcore fans really enjoy seeing. And Doug Flutie is no exception. Yeah, CFL made it all possible, right? I, I think a lot of people, you need to realize the important role the CFL plays in the development of players and giving them that platform to actually create things. I saw you know, articles about the XFL earlier this morning when I woke up and reading into some of that and how they're trying to bounce back from uh, the bankruptcy. And June Jones, who used to be the coach in Hamilton in 2018, came out and said the XFL is preferable to the CFL for American players. How many guys have jumped from XFL rosters and been legit impact players in the National Football League? Well, I can tell you a handful that have come from the last five years alone in the CFL. So I would disagree with June on that statement because I think the CFL plays a really important role in the ecosystem of pro football. A hundred percent. And especially for a place like Hamilton that has been so successful, but hasn't really capped off with a great cup victory. I know people will, will now rag on them for having not once since 99, but how many times they make the great cup in a row? How many times have they come very close they're, they're a very competitive team. And even just outside of Hamilton, across the league as a whole, there's so many players in more recent years that have gotten an opportunity. I remember when I used to work out at a gym in Winnipeg and Mike Benson was my trainer. He talked about, you know, during his first few years, there was maybe a chance for him to go and sign an NFL contract, but the uncertainty of if you get cut, where's your place in the CFL to return? Yeah was was not worth it enough for him at the time especially because there was nobody else that really was making as big of an impact in large numbers there was the few people here and there and you have someone like Cameron Wake who during the time that he was in his first few years was making a big impact but now you see that it's a regular occurrence and with Alex Singleton what he did on Sunday Night Football now by no means is he a, a pro bowler or all pro yet in the NFL but with what he did in that little flash and what he continued to do kind of behind the scenes or behind the scenes in the sense that it wasn't front page news or all over social media in the NFL world. But when seeing guys like Alex Singleton, what impact that they can make in the NFL kind of makes people's heads turn and go, wow, where does this guy come from? Or, oh, they play in the CFL. 
And listen, you know, there's the whole Boomer Esiason and, oh, you can't make that throw in the NFL. And all of CFL Twitter are literally flying from the top of the escalator to give him an RKO, which is great and just goes to show the passion of, of the fans of the CFL. But again, there are great athletes and great players that play in both leagues. And quite honestly, sometimes America doesn't give enough credit to the product that the CFL puts in the field and especially some of the players that go south of the border and actually do something. Yeah, I think some of that is also the the style of play, because if it feels foreign and you don't understand it necessarily all the time, which I think we don't give enough credit to American fans who do understand the CFL, the rules and the regulations and the field size and all that. But if you don't understand what you're watching, you are innately going to be scared of it and then to disrespect it. Like it's the fear of the unknown that we've been talking about throughout the entire summer here and all of the social movements as well. You know, I don't understand that culture. Therefore, I'm scared of it. Therefore, I don't like it. Okay, well, maybe figure out what the culture is about. Maybe figure out what the league is about. Then you won't be scared of it. Then you won't have to dislike it. And I think once you see a little bit more of that development of people understanding, then more people fall in love with it. It's very hard for me to see people very few and far between go to a CFL game or truly understand what they're watching in the CFL. And then they come back to it afterwards and they say, well, you know, I I didn't like that. It just doesn't happen very often. Sure, there might be a handful of people, but the vast majority to me, I would say somewhere between 70 to 80%, if I were to guess, they go to a CFL game and they say, hell yeah, I would do that again. That seems like something that's enjoyable. And it's some of it's the social experience and some of it's the actual play on the field. But the game I always found was addicting. And that's why I fell in love with it. And that's why I've always kind of been a champion of both the U Sports level uh, and, of course, of the CFL. So to dial it back a little bit here, towards the time that you were playing U-sports for McMaster in Hamilton, so you played quarterback there during your career, and you guys came on the cusp of winning the Vanya Cup in 2014. During a crazy, crazy year, I remember following it relatively closely because that was the first season that had happened in U-sports after I graduated from high school. And to see some of the power shifts that had happened in the RSEQ with Laval not winning the Dunsmore Cup for the first time in in an absolute eternity and with how down to the wire things had gotten in the Vanier and how close McMaster had come to winning what was what was the best experience that you had during your career and like what was the hardest thing about playing in a season where there was maybe not as much expectation to make it really, really far and playing against Montreal and, and just being in that youth sports environment when maybe looking back, it seems a little far away now, but you definitely made a big impact when maybe that wasn't always expected. Yeah. I think the, the best experience I ever had was just being with the group of guys that we had in 2011, the Vanier cup winning team uh, that beat Laval. that group to me, I mean, that, that was a decade ago at this point, and I've already gotten texts from guys. As soon as we flipped the calendar to 2021, everybody was thinking, can you, can you believe it's been a decade that we actually, since we've accomplished that? But that group was so tight-knit. Uh, it didn't matter if you were the starting quarterback, like Kyle Quinlan, or I was the backup quarterback, or if you were the third-string offensive guard who was just playing on special teams. Everybody knew everybody's name, knew everything about them. We were super well-connected, and I... I, I think that's the greatest team I ever played on. And I think a lot of the time when people say, well, that's the greatest team, they're talking about team talent, right? Like they're saying that's the best amount of, of people that could do the best at their position. The best team I've ever played on was the best group of people. They weren't necessarily the most talented. Now, don't get me wrong. We had a hell of a lot of talent, but that talent would have meant nothing if we weren't as connected as we were. So that was the most gratifying experience for me in all of my playing days was uh, being able to be around that group. And I, again, the winning I think gives it that that golden ember kind of touch that lasts forever where you'll think of it more special than maybe it was in the moment. But the reality is I still talk to all those guys from that team. And I think I would have been doing that with or without a championship because that group was just so much fun to be around. In terms of the most gratifying part, I would say of 2014, um, yeah, 13, we threw the ball all over the place. We just chucked it up and down the field. And it was great because I... I had an opportunity down the back end of the OUA regular season to take a run at the OUA single season touchdown mark and a touchdown to interception mark was in play and single season completion record and all these different things, uh, whether it was McMaster, OUA, U Sports. I mean, I was dabbling with a bunch of different records and you start to realize 
as you know, I'm just a guy who happens to be playing quarterback at a, a university that is a great institution that has a lot of talent around me. And I'm going, oh my God, how am I, how am I being connected or even remotely close to all these names? Like I love Michael Faltz when he was playing at Western when I was in high school and I'm looking at the OUA and saying, I, w- I wonder what I could be if I ever get an opportunity to start there. And all of a sudden I'm trying to track down Michael Faltz in a bunch of these statistical categories. I'm going, how the hell am I here? This doesn't make any sense. So uh, that to me in 13, it was great because I, I got a lot of that kind of personal accolades stuff, but there's nothing like having a, a really solid team around, you. you know, every year was different when I was at McMaster 2010, we were a young, hungry team. We couldn't finish the job. 2011, we go on this miracle run. We win the Vanier cup. 2012 was all about repeating and sending a message and being the best team that McMaster's ever seen in back-to-back years. We get to the Vanier cup, we get slapped by Lavelle. All of a sudden, I'm the starter after getting slapped by Laval on the national stage at the 100th Grey Cup celebration. And then 2013, like I say, we throw it all around the place. And 2014 comes and it's like, okay, hey, what do we want to be? Because we can be a chuck it up and down the field team. And Marshall can get a bunch of statistics and personal accolades. And we can win 75% of our games and then lose to a better team down the stretch. Or we can work all year long on being able to find balance and actually creating something that has a chance down the stretch to win playoff games. So that's what we decided. And it was a conscious decision in terms of a shift from our coaching staff of let's get Wayne Moore more involved. Let's accentuate the use of Declan Cross now in Toronto with the CFL's Argonauts. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's use Danny Vandervoort, Dan Peterman, both CFL guys. Let's find ways to get Chris Pizzetta involved in the power run game. Let's, there was so much of that where they decide that everything surrounding me was so good. And honestly, I wish that they would have done this in 2013 when I was throwing it up and down the yard because sure, it was fun. But I mean, how much better would we have been in 2014 if that's the approach we would have taken in 2013? So uh, that group came together over time, got to the very end. And uh, I have some regrets about the way that the 2014 Vanier played out, which naturally you're going to have anytime you lose a championship game. You know, I was watching the 2019 Grey Cup between Winnipeg and, and Hamilton the other night back and Uh, The look on Dane Evans' face at the end of the game looks pretty familiar uh, because that is the look of somebody who realizes they had a massive opportunity in front of them and that it just slipped away and you just never know when it's coming back again. And in my case, I knew it was never coming back, right? That That was the punctuation on the end of the university career, fifth year guy, national championship game, no matter what, that's the last game, last time I'll ever suit up. And, uh, and, you know, missed some throws, didn't make some good checks to the line, didn't handle pressure the way I wanted, didn't, if I were to go back on it, I, w- I think I would have prepped a little bit differently. But um, those are the types of lessons that you can then take and you can apply them to coaching or you can apply them to, you know, I've got a young son right now that's five months old. And if he ever gets into football, that's going to be a conversation that I'm going to have with him is, you know, nobody wants to hear old stories from their old man, but the reality is, somebody's got to learn from my mistakes. They can't be me. I can't play football anymore. So uh, that uh, it was an incredible journey though. Mac was a great place for me. I loved being there. I loved the people I was around. I still love being around McMaster living in Hamilton here. Uh, A lot of fond memories about it for sure. That 2011 team 10 years ago, it's crazy to even think that with the calendar being flipped a whole decade has passed since as Dwayne Ford said, you know, best game ever. It was just, it was crazy. Rob Black and Dwayne on the call. It was just so exciting. And with everything that happens, the, the missed field goal at the end of regulation and then the game winner in overtime, or I guess double overtime it was, and the back and forth touchdowns and everything. And then once the Val woke up, it was like, oh, are they going to, are they going to come back? But yeah. I remember I was in, I guess, ninth or 10th grade at the time. And I just remember wanting McMaster to win not because I actually knew anything about the university, the but just because <laughs> when, when I was in, in high school, the place I went to St. Paul's looks exactly like McMaster maroon and white. And I was like, Oh, well, this team looks like the high school I go to. So I want them to win. And then when you guys lost in the, in 2012 in the rematch in the hundredth great cup weekend, I was like, Oh, this sucks. Why didn't they win again? But again, that was just me not knowing anything about football at the time being so green with knowledge of teams, players, yeah the league as a whole, but it was so exciting to watch. And it made me realize this and talked about this with Derek Taylor. I'm sure that there's so many people across every single corner of Canadian football in this country talking about that, that marriage, that union between the Vanya cup and the great cup. And while you don't want the venue to take the back seat, but at the same time, it creates more of a buzz. Where are they playing? Where are the fans coming? You obviously can't really rival a fan base 
in Quebec City when basically Laval or Montreal is a coin flip. One of those two teams is going to be playing in the Vanier Cup. But at the same time, definitely looking back on some of those games that were really pivotal and that really cemented McMaster as a team, hey, like they can do this. That was definitely super fun to watch. And I can only imagine you talk about maybe not necessarily being the most talented team in terms of the guys that can go on the field, produce, blah, 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 but being the team with the people that are most connected. And there's something that's kind of intangible about having a team where everybody from third string to first string put aside their egos and they really bond together because quite honestly, that is a really hard thing to achieve at any level of sport, U sports, CFL, there's always going to be those unspoken barriers, unspoken rules about, oh, well, you don't start or, oh, well, you don't play. Uh, okay, uh, you know, whatever. You're you're just this person or you're not the same as me or we're not on the same level. So I'm not going to acknowledge you or I'm not going to put stock into getting to know you. And when you have those people that do that, and again, it's intangible. You can't really, you know, force it upon a team but you can have the culture in place, which I'm sure coach Potasic had done well because the results speak for themselves. What was it specifically that you would put your finger on to say how those bonds were created during that time in 2011? I think it's a lot of little things. There was, um, you know, we did this stuff on Fridays for our walkthrough that was called loud lowers. So sometimes you would do uh, in CFL teams, they wear different crazy hats and whatnot. And Potasic took that and he applied it to lower body stuff. So we would go out and, some guys would, uh, you know, I remember one day the entire offensive line came out in kilts. Another time the entire offensive line came out in diapers and they were wearing shorts over diapers on the feet. Like there's just stupid little stuff like that where you're like, this is such a ridiculous group of human beings. And, and the group that I was working in specifically, we were the backup. So we had this kind of lineup where you know, my memory serves me right across the starting line a bit was Mike DeCroce at the X. W was Robert Babbick, who set us a, a Vanier Cup record with 13 catches. I think it was in that 2011 Vanier. Chris Bazetta was in the backfield uh, alongside Joey Nemec. Kyle Quinlan was there. And then to the field side, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, I forget who the M was, but the Y was uh, was Brad Fochizato and the Z was Jared Jones. Those are all like senior guys and fourth and fifth years and a really experienced group. The backup group, we literally could just almost go a line shift where, you know, a game would get out of hand or something or an injury would happen. We'd say, okay, let's go with, uh, we called ourselves the Bandits. And I don't know who came up with the name. It was stupid. It didn't actually mean anything, but it became this rallying cry. And the entire team knew when they would yell bandits that it was Gary Spiro at X. It was Josh Vanderweer at W. It was Dallin Brooks at M. It was uh, Spencer Moore at Y. And it was Ben O'Connor at Z. I was the quarterback. And alongside me, I had Kayshawn Davis and Wayne Moore. You'd yell bandits and boom, this group of guys would come flying off the sideline and run out. And everybody was like, hell yeah, bandit time. And it became this, again, one of those little things along with the loud lowers, along with the structure of practices, along with the travel plans and the eating together. And the a lot of the things that have been missed throughout the pandemic, I think, by a lot of teams, even if they were able to practice or be anywhere close to a field. So um, it was, I wouldn't say one big thing that created that team. It was a lot of smart recruiting. It was getting unselfish people who wanted to be a part of something big. And then putting those people in a room and giving them a common goal and everybody was pulling in the same direction. And that's what made it really special. So to take a bit of a transition from your time post playing McMaster, you started Canadian football perspective. You had done the work on TSN 1150 with the Hamilton Tiger Cats with the morning show. Did you know during your time playing football that you were eventually going to get into the sports journalism, sports media scene? And if you did or didn't, when did that happen and how did it happen? Yeah, I um, I originally was not really interested in it. I always liked watching sports media stuff, whether it be, you know, the simple stuff like Around the Horn, PTI, but I, I hadn't really discovered podcasts even when I was in university. I just didn't care. I, I knew that I liked listening to Tim and Sid. And I when they got moved from the score over to Sportsnet 360, they got their radio show in the middle of the afternoons on television. Uh, I ended up watching a lot of them when I was in university and just enjoying the way that Tim specifically, because Tim was a football guy, right? He was calling our games on the score otherwise. So I knew him a little bit. I had this connection point with him. You know, I could contact him if I wanted to, and we could talk about things. And uh, and so I ended up being able to kind of watch him and study him and figure out what he did well and how he was able to guide the conversation, but still have it be fun and not feel like it was robotic or rigid. 
And I got interested in it one day. I got a call from Lindsay Hamilton, who's now a sports center host on TSN. And she said, do you want to come be a guest on my show? I said, yeah, I could be a guest, but also can I be your co-host? And she said, yeah, whatever, shut up. Like she's idiot, stupid jock, just wants to hear his own voice on the radio, obviously. And I said, no, no, that's, that's not why I'm doing this. I, I think I want to try this and see whether or not I actually like it. So uh, went in, we had great chemistry. We did a show together for about a year and a half. Then she left, went on to bigger and better things. I took over her job as the sports director at CFMU 93.3, which is McMaster Student Radio. And uh, from there, basically just kind of toiled around, tried some different things, got the creative juices flowing, created some different football conversations, uh, started to cover my own team at the time because I was still in university. Once I was graduated, I got a call from uh, basically Bell Media saying, hey, we might be doing something in Hamilton with a TSN station. Would you be interested? I said, yeah, of course. And Because at that point, I'm slinging pizzas and serving beers at Boston Pizza on Main Street West in Hamilton. So I wasn't doing anything. And uh, I mean, the money was good. Tips were awesome, but it, it wasn't a career. It wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. So when they gave me that opportunity, I went, worked my way up, was McMaster play-by-play, got a chance to call Ticats games since 2016, uh, got a chance to do the morning show for the last two, three years. Before that, I did afternoon drive in Hamilton, uh, which again, there was a, a blessing and an opportunity that I'll never be able to say thank you enough for because somebody that's fresh at a university does not get given an afternoon drive show in a market like Hamilton. It's just not a thing, but I got lucky. I, uh, I took advantage of the opportunity and ran with it as long as I could until about a month ago when the station unfortunately shut down, but it opened up this venture to focus on Canadian football, which has always been my passion because I can, I can go in and talk about the Leafs till I'm blue in the face, but I'm not going to do it as good as the guys on overdrive because they have life experience. They know what they are talking about more than I know. I'm not going to be able to go in and talk about Blue Jays baseball better than, uh, you know, anybody that's working on sports that because that's, that's their life breath. I mean, that's, that's what they work with. That's what they're around all the time. They go to things, they cover things for me. I've been around the CFL. I've loved the CFL. I've loved you sports. I think that they both deserve more credit. I think they deserve more coverage. And I think they, once they have that improved coverage and conversation that people are going to latch on and find a new love for it. And if I can play a small part in that, then I'm excited to do so. So I, that was kind of how I got my start was basically volunteering working my way up the ladder, doing shows, finding my voice, and then just taking advantage of every opportunity that I got given, which I'm very, very fortunate. I was given a lot more opportunities than I think I was necessarily due. And especially in a place like Hamilton, people would think, oh, it's maybe not a a major city or it's not that huge, but don't sleep on the city because it carries quite a large presence in terms of the football scene and the CFL and U sports. And especially you mentioned having an afternoon drive show, like right at a university, the people who worked on the afternoon drive shows across the TSM stations that exist are the ones that were unfortunately shut down. There are not, you know, 25 year old young bucks that just finished college or their broadcasting program. They're people that are seasoned veterans who have a lot of experience. And like you said, I like that term life experience, because yeah. when it, there's something that you can't really take away from someone who's lived through certain eras of sports. And I know that whenever people talk to me and I try to do a lot of homework and study a lot of history, I love studying the history and the context behind certain teams and years and championships. As an example, the Bombers, I was born in 96. So I've never witnessed anything crazy Winnipeg up until 07, like, 07 was the first year I really, really knew what was going on. And since that time going forward, I've known everything that's going on. I went to Bomber games a few years before that, but again, fourth and fifth grade, you're not really sitting down, breaking down stats, looking at the standings, any of that stuff. But in order to have conversations with guests on the show who are players from the mid eighties, from the nineties, from the, from the, from the era that was before I was born got to do a lot of research and homework. Okay. What, what happened in 2001 or what happened in 92, 93, or what happened during the Jeff Reinbold era or all those sorts of things. So I really like studying it. And sometimes when I talk to people, they're like, wow, like, how do you know this stuff? Like you weren't even born. I'm like, well, it's not an excuse for me not to know it. You can just research and talk to people. But at the same time, my perspective on those eras is different than somebody that lived through it. So that's why the way that I try to gain perspective at least to the best of my abilities for things that happened before I was born is talking to those people who are parents of my friends, grandparents of my friends, 
because those are the people that lived through that time. They remember it vividly the same way that, you know, if I had grandchildren or was talking to a friend's grandchild in 30, 40 years, you're talking about, oh yeah, I remember the 2019 Great Copper. What was it like to not watch them win for your entire life and then be there? All those kinds of things. So, so that experience you took from Hamilton or I guess to Hamilton at TSN 1150 from having played youth sports, from having been around the CFL, that experience and knowledge is invaluable. And especially with the stuff you're doing with CFP now, Canadian football perspective, your perspective is unlike many other peoples in the country for the reason that you played youth sports. You were part of one of the greatest teams to ever win the Vanier Cup, one of the greatest games that people ever saw on Canadian football television, or the fact that you were able to get to know people who were in the CFL and have those relationships that aren't really taken for granted because they're so unique across the league and across the country. Yeah, for sure. And I think the thing that, that I enjoy about CFP is um, having the creative freedom to be able to approach Canadian football in a different way. Like that's what I'm hoping to bring people is this idea that it doesn't just have to be a podcast. It doesn't just have to be a blog. It doesn't have to be once a week. It doesn't have to be uh, strictly about profiling athletes. It can be whatever the hell we want. Like, I think that we need to be more creative with the way that we are approaching content for Canadian football in this country, because there's so many great stories out there, but there's also so much room for improvement. And I always go back to this. I was talking to Gord Grace, the OUA CEO, a couple weeks ago, and I said to him about television rights, specifically in Canada, people bang on U Sports for not having a football contract on television, but people don't realize we're in our infancy. Like if you look at the grand scheme of things, the NCAA, the NFL, even the CFL, how old they are, how established they are, how fast technology has been evolving. University football in Canada at some point is going to figure out how to catch up to all those evolutions. But technology has evolved so quickly that, yes, it's disappointing to not have it on television, not have it more available. But there's absolutely so much room for growth and expansion there that you really have to look at these markets that are underserved and say, okay, where is the next boom? It's almost like people talking about playing the stock market. You know, where is something that I can buy low and sell high? If you want to buy low right now, getting in on on caring about university football in Canada is about, I want to say as low as you can get because it's already made a lot of improvements, but the quality of the game is always improving and the coverage is going to be right behind it in terms of, of covering the game in, in the right way to kind of honor the amount of effort that's put in by the people in Canadian football. So because that's not talked about enough, that's something I've always been passionate about because I believe that those people all deserve to have their stories told and to do so creatively in a way that draws in not just the 15-year-olds like yourself that are interested in high school because you're watching a Grey Cup or a Vanier Cup and not just the 60-year-old who wants to remember his glory days when he was playing at Laurier or Saskatchewan, something like that. I just feel like it has the ability to attract fans from so many different regions of society that I would love to be, again, just a small piece of being able to accomplish that. But creating CFP for me has been a lot of fun because it has given kind of the, the creative juices a bit of a kick in the side and say, you know what, let's find something different that we can do here that's not typically available. And mentioning the creation of CFP in how, in how it ties to the shutting down of the three TSN stations, TSN 1040, 1290, 1150 with seeing how loyal the fans have been in terms of the listeners and their ongoing support for those talented broadcasters and radio hosts like yourself, like the Andrew Patterson's like the Michael Remus's and the, the, the endless names. I, I, I don't have all the names with me, but like those that, that shared their knowledge and perspective of sports across the country, seeing what Hustler did and the guys in Winnipeg creating Winnipeg Sports Talk and boom, number one podcast in Canada like the next day, even before they released 11,000 followers on Twitter. It just goes to show that it's there. It's possible. And sometimes, whether it's for whatever reason that they shut down the station or if people talk about money, all these things, the love and the passion is there. You just got to find a way to meet people where they are. You got to find a way to do it creatively. And I think if anything, as, as unfortunate as the shutting down of the stations was, it's a bit of a blessing in disguise because it kind of forces that next leveling up in terms of using creative methods to engage the audience, to find ways to maybe monetize it and to grow it over time. So 
even though it was a bit unfortunate, seeing now the flexibility that exists, even the Rod Peterson show with everything that they've done there, Rod's done an amazing job. Same with Clark, Max, Darren, all the guys who are involved. Honestly, I don't know what the future holds for them, but if anything, I can say that that was a definitely a great example of a buy low, sell high, because now they're on national television and they have the squad cast and they engage with fans very actively. And that's, I think, what people really want to see. And especially in a place like Western Canada, that's where a lot of appreciation comes from, I think, in terms of really, really loving the CFL. And then some places in Ontario are there, Ottawa, Hamilton and Toronto. Like there needs to be a bit more of a come up, I think. But this opportunity now you're talking about buying low and selling high with Canadian football, especially university, there's a huge opportunity. And as you sports, when it comes back for football, I don't think there might be a more memorable season than when they return to the field, because now is the time to start the buzz. Now is the time to write the articles. Now is the time to interview players and to make people realize, wow, we really missed this because when it comes back, it's just going to be one of the most fantastic things that I think Canadian football fans will have ever seen in such a long time. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's part of the goal is to make people more aware, but also to create something sustainable, right? Because we can do this for six months or a single season. And if it doesn't stick, who cares? I mean, it's just one of a billion podcasts that pops up and then disappears into thin air because somebody gets a job or you move on. But if you want to try to actually make this something that fans can go to as a reliable source to get information on Canadian football, you have to take the long-term approach to it. And, and whether I end up on television or another radio job, otherwise, my full intention is to keep CFP going and to keep it strong and to keep developing it because I believe that it is something that is needed in Canada. We have the infrastructure built, all the hard stuff, like the hurdles that we've had to go over to get everything off the ground and running. That stuff sucks. The, the fun part is the content creation. The fun part is the podcast and the writing and the interviewing and the storytelling and the X's nose breakdowns and all that's 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 the joy in doing this. And that's what people really sink their teeth into. Nobody knows how much stuff happens behind the scenes to get it going. But once you're through all of that junk, you can get to the good stuff. And then you can, I think, create something special that can be around for a long, long time. 100%. And that is the hardest part. And uh, like a wise teacher from high school once told me, the beauty of the artist is making it look easy. Yeah, That's when you know that, that you're really good at what you're doing in terms of building this audience and doing the behind the scenes work. When it looks easy and fans go, oh, wow, they just blew up or that was like, that was quick. That's what makes you know that you're doing a really good job because it's not quick and it's not just super easy because if it wasn't, everyone and anyone could and would do it, but that's not the case. So to build up, to make it monetize, you know, to make it be able to be monetized and to be able to get it out to audiences, to make it sustainable. That's an issue. Again, that the CFL is dealing with in terms of the plan going forward. Now, I think in, in hopes on the other side of, of COVID that the CFL will be better off for their long-term plans but at the same time, that's the hardest thing is how do you go forward knowing this has to be sustainable? This can't just be a Band-Aid. There's a lot at stake. And if it folds, there's going to be a lot of people disappointed. So we really got to dig in and figure out how we're going to do this and make it last. Yeah, and it's I think they've got a, a business model now that they've been chipping away at for the last year that hopefully is going to be, again, sustainable. And it's going to make more sense. When I talked to Randy Ambrosi about it, he said they had found so many inefficiencies that they weren't even aware they had because you never get given the breathing room of a full year without all of the normal events and, and standards of your season and your calendar to be able to look at your own business model and say, how do we do this better? How do we do that? And that's not about stripping it down to the bare bones like everybody thinks and tearing it down to the studs and bolts and saying, let's completely rebuild the house. You're just saying, well, maybe we don't need that two by four over there. Let's take out just these studs and bolts, and then we can actually have this make a lot more sense moving forward. So they've worked on that. I hope that, that uh, that's a trend that they're going to uh, to be able to, to really hold on to, because I think there were some good learnings that came out of the pandemic. A hundred percent. That's a very great point you made. And to see what kinds of things there are that will be adjusted and changed, I think is a bit of an exciting thing for CFL fans. But at the same time, we'll have to collectively hold our breath until we see the product finally back in the field, because that's the thing yep. that we await the most. So 
Marshall, we're getting towards the end of our time here. So I want to ask a few more wrap up questions, have a little bit of fun and let's just see where we go. So know you're a big bills fan and being close to Buffalo and having only access to AFC East cable as a kid definitely creates for an interesting perspective on the NFL for sure. I want you to list most memorable Bills game you've watched and the most excruciating loss that you've watched as a Bills fan. You can go with the loss uh, first if you want to end on a positive note, or we can go. No, I'll, uh, you know what? I'll go most memorable, I would say, was week one, 2003. It was uh, 32 nothing Bills over the Patriots at home in Orchard Park. And that was the, the Sam Adams game, if people remember that massive 350-some-odd-pound nose tackle having a pick six off a ball from Brady that was tipped in the air. The great thing that I always remember about that is that in week 17, the Patriots playing at home returned the favor 32, nothing, I believe back on the bills uh, as a, they traded the uh, plus minus there on the score differential. But that one I'll always remember. Cause again, at that point I'm 12 years old. I think I was home alone on a Sunday and uh, my parents had gone to work or something. I made myself some lunch. I sat down and my eyes were the size of my entire forehead for about three hours because I couldn't believe what I was watching. Cause all I'd ever heard was, Tom Brady this, Tom Brady that. He's the Patriots. He's the future. They're the greatest franchise. Belichick's this. And then I turn on the TV as a 12-year-old, and you watch the team that you've been watching go eh, up and down, and eh, they're okay. You watch them just obliterate the Patriots. So that one I always remember because it's just, again, like you say, it strikes you as a kid. Uh, Worst loss, honestly, AFC wildcard against the Jags from just a couple of years ago. And the reason that I say that is, Whatever, the end result, they lose. Who cares? Jacksonville was a better team that year. They had a better chance to move in advance. The game sucked. Like, you know this. The game itself was, and I know that people say the Patriots, Rams, oh, it was low scoring, therefore the game must have been bad. No, I actually thought that Super Bowl was okay. There was some very smart defense that was being played. That game between the Jags and the Bills was ass. There was nothing good about that game offensively. People were not executing. Nobody was blocking. And it was just a low scoring. And I went to Buffalo even though they were playing the game in Jacksonville. I went to Buffalo. I tailgated at the stadium bar for that game. I hung out with a bunch of Bills fans all day long. We watched the game, and there was never that moment to get excited about anything because they scored a field goal. So that one to me was, it was excruciating, not because it was a playoff loss, because they weren't really that good at that point. They kind of snuck in the back door, all the rest, as we know, in week 17. But it was just the way the game unfolded where I was like, man, that's, if you're going to lose, lose spectacularly. Don't lose like that. That game, I remember watching it, and it was the first time I realized that I really love the Jags. And it was because it was such a Jags way to win. Like, you know, you're down 3-0, and I'm like, oh, no, here we go. And then it's 3-3. I'm like, hooray. And then the, the play of the game that really just really – made me realize how excited I was to watch them in the playoffs was it's fourth and goal from the one. And I was like, and Doug Rohn's like, okay, let's go for it. And I'm like, uh, what if you don't get it? That looks really stupid. But at the same time, the analytics and I already hear Derek Taylor's footsteps saying, go for it on fourth and one uh, on fourth and goal. Don't you dare think of doing otherwise, which makes sense. And I agree with it. But again, as a fan, you're scared because the risk of getting zero points from the one is is awful, especially against the Bills who snuck in. It almost looked like both teams just really, really, really didn't want to lose. They were playing the hardest park the bus, please let us don't lose, and let us play the tightest, stingiest defense ever, that they forgot how to play football on offense. But that touchdown on the play-action fake to Leonard Fournette to Ben Koyak was was so exciting, and that's it. The, the, end of the, play, the end of the game was obviously great, but Nathan Peterman, I was like, if they don't pick this guy off and they have to watch 20 replays, that, at that point, I was like, if the Bills score a touchdown, I swear I'm going to go crazy because Nathan Peterman has to have one of the most infamous track records in a Buffalo Bills uniform at quarterback. Yeah, for sure. And it was, uh, I had been to games that year where they had, they had tinkered around with the idea of Tyrod or Nathan Peterman. I'm like, neither of these guys are getting you over the hump. Like nobody's making a run through the playoffs here. So making the playoffs, it was fun. It was great to break the streak of not being in the playoffs, but yeah, that game was, uh, was not memorable for a lot of reasons. What is the most fun CFL game you've ever been to in person? And what's the craziest CFL game that you ever watched on television? Uh, craziest on television, I think would probably be, uh, Winnipeg coming back to beat Montreal. Uh, at home when Winnipeg had that crazy, I think Andrew Harris scored a touchdown in the final dying seconds. It was either 2017 or 18, I want to say, but that game was, 
Yeah, it seems so far out of hand. And uh, and they came back and were able to just like just crush the soul of Montreal at that point after Jacques Chaplin had already had a rough start. The craziest one I've been to in person, uh, I've been to the Grey Cups that Calgary lost back-to-back against Toronto and Ottawa, or Ottawa and Toronto, uh, I should say. But I think my favorite one was just being there in the snow in Ottawa when the Argonauts were able to win uh, because that... You know, I love snowy football and I grew up in Kingston, not that far away from Ottawa. So it just Ottawa feels a little bit different. The chill in the air that you get up there is a little bit different from the rest of Ontario. And uh, when you take that two hour drive from Kingston to be able to get up to Ottawa, you get out of the car. And for me, the only reason I ever went to Ottawa as a kid was to play football games against Ottawa Cumberland or Ottawa Myers Riders or uh, to play high school games in St. Mar- St. Mark's or St. Peter's or go to the Minto Sportsplex. Or so for me, Ottawa's a real true football city and I love going up there and to have, you know, I went into a bar before the game and I sat down, ordered a couple of drinks. And by the time I ordered the drinks and I was having a conversation with somebody at a great cup tailgate and I had a drink and I looked up at the TV and there was a blizzard. I'm like, I just walked inside five minutes ago. How is it possible that there's a blizzard on the television? I'm like, are they showing a classic game? Somebody's like, no, it's a blizzard outside how it was clear skies and i walked inside five ten minutes ago but as soon as that snow started to come down it's one of those i don't know if you ever have this where you look around you go okay yeah let's order a couple more drinks because this is about to get crazy like we're about to have a wild gray cup because the snow is going to come down so i didn't even i didn't watch from the press box i really don't like being in press boxes because i just consider myself to be you know somebody who enjoys getting the organic experience in the stand so i watched that great cup from the concourse with a couple of beers in my hand and being able to to just enjoy and embrace the experience, the Shania Twain halftime show, uh, what the Argonauts did, having a former teammate of mine at McMaster and Declan Cross, who had a couple of two-point conversions and Toronto getting the victory and seeing the way that the game finished off and the crazy plays of Devere Posey, 100-yard touchdown, and then having, of course, the fumble return for a touchdown going the other direction by Cassius Vaughn. I mean, it was there's a lot in that game that uh, I just felt really, really thankful at the end of that one to say, I got to experience it like a fan. You know, I got in for uh, to work and I was there the whole week working. But by the time the Great Cup actually came, my work was done and I just got to enjoy it. And uh, it was it was real, real memorable. If there was one person from the CFL that has now passed that if you could snap your fingers and go back in time and have a conversation with them and sit down and get to ask them whatever you want for 30 minutes, who would it be and why? Mm. Why? I uh, I think it would be one of the the older quarterbacks, like a really early days CFL quarterback. And I I feel bad because I don't actually know if they've passed, but I believe either Sam Echeverry or Jackie Parker, like those guys from Edmonton and Montreal back in the 1950s. I just I think it would be amazing to see what the CFL was like in its earliest incarnations and to understand how they view the game because we know that the the professional football world and how we view passing the football in general it's changed so much from 1950 to 60s alone let alone 1950s to 2010s and 20s and and so there's this rapid evolution i think every single decade but to see how far that evolution had gone over 60 plus years i would love to have that conversation and i'm actually going to be going back for cfl.ca in the next month or two and tracking throws from cfl great cups from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and applying some of the analytics eye that we use in modern football to some of those games that were played back 50 60 70 years ago so that that'll be an interesting dynamic to sort out if i can compare you know the warren moon gray cups against the bo levi mitchell great cups who had better great cup performances you know who had more passing attempts where did they like to target on the field what was the, the run pass ratio and how has the game evolved over time? I'm, I'm like you. I'm interested in the history of the game because I think it teaches us a lot about, uh, about the modern age. The last question. What is one unpopular opinion you have about football that you would die on the hill for? Oh, I like this one. I don't know if I have a great answer for you, but I like where you're headed with this one. I, um, unpopular opinion about football. I would say uh, that fullbacks are essential. I think that fullbacks are so underappreciated and i i love watching i formation football which i get is people don't want to watch that in the cfl it's non-existent i mean unless you're on the goal line you just don't see a power eye but there's something really sexy about a power eye to me i think it's the 90s football kid in me growing up where i love the idea of 
Uh, I saw a picture of Mike Allstott the other day and it just made me smile like from ear to ear. I was just grinning and I was thinking this is such a weird thing to be so happy to see a picture of somebody who I respected so much of. But it's it's the names that you attach with fullbacks when you go back and you think about them. It's not necessarily what they accomplished. It's more so about how you remember them in your own mind. And there's only certain names that pop up that are really significant at that position. And part of the magic of the fullback, I think, is that they've kind of been phased out. But at the same time, when you get a great one that comes in, like right now with the 49ers have and looking around, the Vikings have a really good one. And I think the Browns for a little while have had some success running with the fullback before Baker Mayfield came in. And I, I like I like fullback football and it's I'm not sure that anybody else does I don't think anybody else cares but that is something I'd like to see at some point not be the most prevalent thing in every single player we're using a fullback just have a meaningful fullback just it, it gives you such great variety I think in your offense but I do think that we're trending away from it so I don't know if we'll ever see it again that's a great answer I was inspired I saw that all over TikTok people saying what's the, what's an unpopular unpopular opinion you have in football or about football and I was like I think that there's a lot of really great answers that people can come up with. And definitely fullback is one that I'm not surprised to hear because I was literally watching a video the other week of remembering Mike Allstott and why there'll never, ever be another player like him in the NFL, a guy wearing the the neck protector on the back of his shoulder pads and trucking guys and running for 50 yards and breaking six tackles along the way. Like he was almost like the original beast mode, but the looks can be deceiving beast mode. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And it's, I still appreciate great run blocking and offensive line included, but there's nothing like having a fullback that pulls around from an offset formation and leads through a B gap and perfectly fits up a middle linebacker, seals it. And the running back walks into the end. It's just, it's really, really good football. And now we just see a lot of heads up five on five, trying to get to the second level with offensive linemen without much of the help from the backfield. Sometimes it's receivers chipping or getting in on backers, but there's something different about having a guy in your backfield who can intimidate because he's got the size and the physicality to be able to move people. And also the quickness, that combination at fullback to me is it's so raw and unique uh, that I'd love to see it come back for sure. Well, with that Marshall, we've reached the end of our time on today's episode. I want to thank you so much for having been on. It was an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed talking nitty gritty, obscure football fandoms, different football memories, playing for Mac during an iconic era and everything you've done with CFP is absolutely outstanding. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, and I hope that everybody enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed catching up and talking some ball. It's always great. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode of former McMaster alumni quarterback, CFP creator, Marshall Ferguson. First and goal from the one. This is it. Stiegel. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore MB. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.